Hello, welcome to Movie Ghoul Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is our Movie Ghoul Round Marathon, and this episode is a future classic. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on one of our last entries, second to last entry of Movie Ghoul Round for the month of October 2019 are my wonderful two co-hosts, David Luzader. How are you? I am doing well, coming to you from an Airbnb, so I apologize if there's any weird noises like ghosts. I think it's haunted, you know, getting spooky in here. Yeah, it happens. I feel like you've unlocked a achievement for indie podcaster, though, because you are now podcasting from an Airbnb, holding your microphone because you have no stand. You really, it's a, it's an achievement. Yeah, I traveled with a little USB mixer. I, I, I'm ready to go play. There you go. Did you get stopped by TSA because they thought it was a bomb? Because that happens to me on the regular. No, I drove, so no one. Oh, stop. perfect. And Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good. And now apparently I know how to get explosives across state lines. Just drive. Um, (laughs) Instead of flying. um, I'm, you know, technical issues that we've had aside. I'm doing well. Thanks. Very, very good. Well, this week, we're continuing movie ghoul around uh, spooky and thrilling and fun movies that are for this time of the year. And it was a future classic pick, which means one of us has the opportunity to pick a film that has come out in the last decade. So at this point, 2009 and onward, and argue that it will be a future classic. And you can put... you can put some some you know items on top of that and say, oh, it's a future classic for this or that, but you have to have some sort of strong argument that it'll be a future classic in some way, shape, or form. David had a pick this week, uh, but before we announce David's pick for this week, I do want to announce that Nicole has the final movie Ghoul Round pick coming out this evening. It's an around-the-world pick. Nicole, what are we going to be watching? Okay, well, um, we are going to be watching a French movie next week. Uh, It is an older French movie. I believe it's 1960, I want to say. I'll have to double check that. It is Le Yeux Sans Visage, also known as Eyes Without a Face. That sounds spooky. All right. I'm very excited. Eyes Without a Face. And that'll be our fifth Movie Ghoul Round episode. And that'll be the one that closes this fun uh, little experiment we do every October. But David did pick a different film this week for future classics. He picked The Invitation, came out in 2015. A man accepts an invitation to a dinner party hosted by his ex-wife, an unsettling affair that reopens old wounds and creates new tensions. David, why are we watching The Invitation? Well, I picked The Invitation because I don't watch a lot of horror movies, but when I do watch them, I really enjoy ones that have a lot of atmosphere, a lot of dramatic tension, and I think that's where the invitation really shines. I think, you know, I try to I try to pick future classic picks that have a bunch of uh, bunch of qualifiers on it, but I do think this is one that's going to stick out to horror fans or ones that fa- horror fans will recommend to people who aren't fans of like slasher films. As like, here's something a bit different. 
It's got a lot of tension, uh, but it's it's you know that that slow build makes it really good and really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very very slow build, but I think it works in its favor. Uh, Nicole, you had not seen this before. I had, um, so I was very excited to see this. Uh, just high level. Do you understand our excitement now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I understand your excitement now. This is actually the first uh, Karen Kusama film I've ever seen. I've heard good things, nothing but good things about Girl Fight. And uh, Jennifer's Body was controversial when it came out, but it it sounds like people are starting to come around to it now. Wait, this is the J-Bo director? Yes. Also, don't call it that. (laughs) Oh my god, my mind has been blown. Jabo is like the classic. We're going to watch this when we're in high school thing. Okay, sorry. Continue, Nicole. (laughs) Well, now I forgot what I was going to say. (laughs) Um, No, I mean this is, you know, this is this is one of those movies where. I heard really good things about it and I put it in my Netflix queue and it's been sitting there for about a year and a half. And because I didn't know what exactly I would be getting with it, I never knew if I was going to be in the right mood to watch it. So I ended up not seeing it at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you picked it to spur me to finally check it out because I think this was really well done. And I don't know what that mood you need to be in is <laughs> because it's it's a very slow build that is really more of a character study for nearly an hour and a half of people experiencing grief in various ways um, than it is a horror film. And I think that's what's really kind of incredible about this movie. And I think that's what's incredible about the lead actor, Nicole, you put in our docket that this movie uh, has moved its lead from not Tom Hardy to Logan Marshall Green. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it, Logan Marshall Green was an actor that I had sort of mentally dismissed as just not Tom Hardy Tom because Hardy. he looks yeah. remarkably like Tom Hardy, only taller. Um, but this movie really actually has a, a distinguishing performance, I think, that has, uh, I believe, David put in our docket, given him an upgrade in how i view him as an actor yeah i actually i I threw that in there because i haven't seen upgrade but i know david has (laughs) yes uh upgrade is definitely a tom hardy movie that loken marshall green is starring in yeah Uh, that's one where they could either one of them could have done it i think a hundred percent i think this is a movie that yeah is definitely tom hardy would not have given this performance yeah, it's an incredible performance. And let's talk a little bit about the actual basis for this movie. He shows up to his ex-wife's house after not seeing her for two years. Um, she's yeah, with number her. one, first thing he did wrong. Yeah, like <laughs> why? Why would you accept that invitation? But I suppose it's because they had a lot of very mutual friends that they were very, very close with. And um, he hasn't seen them in two years either because everything went to hell in a handbasket when uh, his five-year-old son died. Um, So he shows up to the party with his now girlfriend 
and we're introduced to this slate of characters of people that have been friends for you know seemingly many years and they all know each other and it's just been a huge disconnect in the middle of this friend group because um you know he uh had a kid die and him and his wife separated and then she found another dude um in grief counseling and he decided to stop sleeping with daenerys and then they are we gonna call it grief counseling what they went through actually yeah let's back that up there he they met at a grief cult uh run by toby haas (laughs) which is the second time we've seen him in movie ghoul round um but yeah he's running a grief cult in mexico where uh I don't want to get into the spoiler yet because I feel like we have to build to that just like this movie. Um, <laughs> part of our intro is that we spoil movies here. That is part of this, but I, right. But I, I think the whole idea being that, her, you know, the ex-wife and this guy come back from this cult in Mexico and, and they're on a mission. They're on a mission to, it seems initially like to convert people. Now, Nicole, as someone who had just seen this movie for the first time, I did thought you were going to say Nicole as somebody who was in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Nicole, uh, as someone who was seeing this for the first time, did you, what was your vibe throughout the early parts of the film? Did you think that they were just trying to convert them into this, like, you know, happy go lucky, don't think about sadness cult? Well, I knew there was going to be at least one murder or attempted murder somewhere in this movie because the Karen Kusama is unfortunately not terribly subtle <laughs> with letting you know that something bad is going to happen in this movie. You know, before the credits even start, something dies. They hit the coyote with the car and he has to kill it. He has to... This, and this will be important later for foreshadowing. He has to mercy kill the coyote um, by bashing its head in. And then the credits start and it they're like this weird sort of skiddy slow-mo with really ominous music over them. You see the car making its trip um, up into the, I guess, the the upper levels of the canyon or something that they're in mm-hmm. where they get magically no cell service, despite the fact that the people up there, I am sure have towers freaking everywhere because they're rich. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, something bad is going to happen because there's foreshadowing all over the place. So I spent the whole movie wondering what was going to go wrong and when. Yeah. 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 And I think I put it in our doc, like the plot is obvious in parts, you know, like, like Nicole said, you know, something is going to go bad. Uh, But I think there's so much more to this movie than like the plot. And I kind of appreciate it for that. It's not, uh, it's not trying to be, I don't know, because it it never, it never denies that feeling that something bad is going to happen, but it, it plays almost like a character piece. Well, I mean, it does. It bounces back and forth between making you wonder if there's really some sort of hidden agenda or if Will is really paranoid and has gotten to the point where maybe the violence is going to come from him mm-hmm. rather than from the other side. Exactly. Right. No, that's, I mean, that's a great point. Yeah. And what's so masterful about, about this movie to me is that 
there are a lot of thriller or horror films that decide to take the idea of building to the last final moments and then unleashing. And a lot of the time that can be very boring if you do not have a really compelling uh, beginning and centerpiece. And they have that with this character study that is like both a, you know, a meditation on grief and this idea of, um, you know, how old friends interact after seeing each other for so long. Every single one of these people interacts with Will differently. They approach him differently. They all don't really know the right thing to say because obviously the divider in that two years is both, you know, divorce and child dying. So there's enough compelling stuff happening, particularly with Will and Eden, uh, Eden being the ex-wife, that you're so interested in just the, the back and forth in this household and that it's totally okay that things don't blow up until the last 15 minutes. And I think that is really masterfully written in this regard. Yeah. I think, you know, cause it does, it does play as Nicole said with the idea of how things are going to go wrong uh, because it could be, you know, cause if, if we just knew straight out that the people throwing the dinner party are the ones who are going to, to snap and do something at the end, like that, that removes some of that tension well, you're waiting for the break, but you don't know because because Will does get a little bit violent at times, and he's always on edge, and he's always like he's ready to snap verbally, and like how far before uh, that becomes a physical snap, and then you have you know Pruitt's introduction, Pruitt telling the story of when he hit his wife and accidentally murdered her, uh, and so it's like there's all these different angles that it could be coming from. And any one of them for a long time seems valid. Well, yeah. And I mean, Sadie does not exactly seem like a balanced person either. The girl that they picked up in Mexico. (laughs) And then, you know, Eden herself, right from the get go, she's, and I mean, kudos to uh, Tammy, I don't, the actress um, who plays Eden, kudos to her for, or maybe not. I don't know. Right off the bat, you get this impression of someone who is superficially calm, but you can see immediately that there's something kind of brittle about her, that this calm is something that's possibly very hard one and extremely fragile. Yeah, I was going to come into this calling her discount Liv Tyler, but I don't know if Liz Tyler could have <laughs> Liv Tyler could have done this better. Um, they, well, there's I, I moments where she snaps, right? She she slaps one of the guys when he pokes holes in her, you know, superficial um, happiness, and how she just tells everybody yeah. that you can choose not to be depressed because it's all chemicals in your body. And she gets on like this weird like Marianne Will- Williamson like shtick where she's like, "It's okay." Your body can just reject the happiness. Like, ugh. Um, and she, she just slaps a dude. Uh, she's on edge. Yeah, Eden. Jeez, uh, there's so much, like, denial going on. Right. Yes. Yeah, and she's, she's talking. And, you know, in we, we, there's that reveal at the end that, like, she's holding it together because the reward that she's looking for is in death. Uh, so she's just walking right. through this whole, this whole movie being like, no, 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 everything is okay. Everything is fine. I've let it all go. I'm happy. It's <laughs> like not even a little bit. Oh, goodness, no. Now, is it possible and, to be... And, oh, sorry, go ahead, David. I was going to say, and Sadie, too. Nicole mentioned her earlier. Also, 
is just weird. Uh, but I love that scene when um, Will. Oh, when she's funny to own it. <laughs> oh well, that yes, that part is super weird uh, in the beginning, but also when she's making faces in the mirror at herself. Oh yeah, it's everything about her. Every scene she's in, like you are just kind of wondering what is she going to do next. And when is she going to stab someone? Right? Uh, absolutely. Now, Nicole put in our docket, is it possible to be truly surprised by a thriller if you already know it's a thriller when you sit down to watch it? Does constant anticipation of things uh, taking a bad turn affect your enjoyment of the movie? And I think this conversation ties to that because, for me at least, the reason this movie is so great is because, as, as Nicole said earlier as well, I don't know where the violence is going to come from with whether or not Will might just be totally paranoid. Like, it, there's a version of this movie that's just as good, I would argue, where they just happen to go to a weird little grief cult and they're not actually going to kill anybody. And Will is just off his rocker because he's so riddled with grief and paranoia that he thinks everyone in this house is going to kill him. And um, and then he snaps because he gets close to snapping, as David said. And I think that is a equally as valid version of this movie. It doesn't happen, but it would be cool. Um, and I think that's, for me, what makes this thriller so enjoyable. It doesn't matter how it's going to end, because even if I know it's thrilling, I don't know how it's going to be thrilling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, Nicole. I was going to say, maybe what it is, is I don't watch a lot of thrillers, so they're not generally my thing, but I, I suspect part of it is part of what a lot of people enjoy about thrillers is trying to guess what the underlying story is and then finding out at the end if they were right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of trying to dig at exactly what's going on. Like, I haven't seen uh, Midsommar, um, but I I know enough about it, you know, that even, like, going into it, even seeing the trailer, going into the movie, it feels like everything is a little bit off kind of right from the beginning, but the whole mm-hmm. time you're not exactly sure how is it off, what's going to happen, are they going to eat the people? Are they going to, <laughs> like, is it going to be a weird sex murder? I don't know. Tune in to find out. Weird sex murder was definitely on the table in this movie. Oh, Several yeah, times. Yeah. Happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, because yeah, right, like, like, after they watch this woman die on video, they start playing, like, this I want game that looks like it's going to be heading toward a weird sex party of some kind. Right, so I let's let's did until the murder confession. Right, so let's let's talk about yeah. that because um, you know what happens is That's kind of a downer. <laughs> is um uh, I'm just gonna call him Dario because I have no idea what the actor's name is that plays the significant other of <laughs> Eden. Um, John. Oh, of Eden, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's the only person you'll notice in this movie from something else, probably, um, aside from the guy who plays Bruit. Um, so actually, real quick, I want to mention, this movie almost had a bunch of recognizable faces. Right, it did. Uh, yeah, like Zachary Quinto is almost in it. Uh, um, Toby Maguire, I think, was not Toby Maguire. Um, so anyway, Topher Grace. Those, Topher Grace, yes, thank you. A couple of, yeah, a few like really big names were going to be in this movie, and then I think it's better that there aren't because that can be a little bit distracting and the relative unknown of these actors i think adds a, a, like it, it allows you to buy into the realism of it a little bit more totally agree also i suspect it gave a little more 
budget to play with Money? in other areas. Right, right. Um, but we have this part of the movie where they're they're starting to confess to people like, oh, we went to this grief cult counseling in Mexico, and um, Dr. Toby Huss taught us how to be free of our emotions. And um, they show this video to the entire group of people at the dinner party of, you know, Toby Huss just like, like, coaxing this woman into death where um this woman who is you know uh, allegedly cancerous and you know relatively young is is dying on her deathbed and all the people in the cult are like oh she gets to be with us it's ethereal she's in the air now and they show this at a dinner party and one of the best lines in the movie is everyone starts talking about it and how oh she's at peace oh this is interesting and then it turns over to will he's like why would you show that at a dinner party? <laughs> and uh, he's not the only one who's like, "What is going on?" Yeah, it's it's so distressing, <laughs> and and, and, and they they explain it as, "Oh, we just want to show you that everything's going to be okay," which is a precursor to the fact that we're going to kill you, right? But um, yeah. it, it's it's another it's another level of things feeling wrong because so many like everybody at the party is trying to be nice. But Will's the only one at a few turns that's calling out like how weird everything is seeming. But, you know, then like you have these people who can, you know, can excuse these weird behaviors in small different ways. So, yeah, that's that label's like, well, is Will like Will's right? But why is it nobody else weirded out about it? Is it, it is it that big of a deal? Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. No, but I mean, this this movie really does drive home a serious lesson. You know, social conditioning keeps people trying to be polite for way longer than is necessary for everybody's health and mental health. But, you know, the, the key lesson for everyone to take away here that I can, I can attest from personal experience is trust your gut. (laughs) If your gut's telling you that something is wrong and this is not a good situation that you're in, get out early, even if it makes you look rude. Which is what happens with the character of Claire. Claire, one of the friends, you know, during this I want game where Dario pulls out, starts pulling out hard drugs and letting his wife snog people. um, Claire decides this is too much and she pops out, you know, and her fate is ambiguous. Pruitt goes out to move his car in order to get her car out. And then right as she's driving away, and we only see this from the perspective of Will on looking through the window, uh, Pruitt stops her and and later says like, oh, I tried to get her to stay, but she she seemed to understand. And her death scene was filmed and it was omitted from the film. And I'll be curious your guys' perspective on how that changes it. Because for me, I think I, I like her as a cautionary tale where like, I don't know if she survived or not, but she was probably one of the most likely to survive because she was the one that decided to trust her gut and get out. Um, but alas, in the lore of this movie, she does not survive. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I, like- I was pretty sure she was dead. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we yeah. don't see her leave. Right. And you see, you see Pruitt going to talk to her as she's trying to like finally drive away. But I don't know. There's part of it, too. I really love that it's ambiguous. Because if it was made clear, if we saw when Will turned around, Pruitt dragging a body to the bushes, like that would have given up the game so much earlier in a lot of ways. And I, I love that it is unseen and unknown. And, you know, you have that hope in the back of your mind that 
maybe maybe she made it. Maybe she's okay. Yeah, and, and David, you put in our doc, you know, does something not seen on screen or referred to directly count as canon? It's difficult, right? Because they, they made the creative decision, because they had a shot of her bleeding out in the bushes, that he had dragged her into the bushes and basically killed her there. And um, they omitted it for a reason, right? So, like, it's hard to say that that is what happens to her character, because the filmmakers made the very conscious decision to then remove that. Yeah. And that's like, I don't want us to get derailed from discussing this movie too much just because of that point. But, you know, you hear that sometimes where it's like, well, the director said this. And it's like, I mean, it's like, it's the JK Rowling thing, right? If it, wasn't <laughs> in, if, it, if it wasn't in your work, can you claim it afterwards and say like, no, it's, 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 it's canon. It's real. Yeah, that's tough. That's a really good point. I don't, I actually don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Nicole? Um, that's a that's a larger question you know is if the director doesn't show it on screen do they get to assert one way or another what happens to a character or what a character's backstory is um you know you can say what your intent was but it's up to the viewer to interpret it i mean that's something that you know there's a there's a reason david lynch never talks about his work in terms of right. what does such and such mean? Because he's he's like, that's that's the audience's job is to decide what it means. And even he doesn't know, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would not surprise me some of the time. I'm sure he has his yeah. own idea of what it sure. means. For sure. He's happy to let everybody else have their own interpretation of what's going on. So it does kind of tick me off sometimes when directors tell you oh you know this this and this exact thing happened even though i didn't show you or hint at it or you know even allude to how it might have been but that's that's what the story was sure well this is this is the blade runner thing that we've talked about in the past not on this show but on move on geek cinema where you know ridley scott and harrison ford and the guy who wrote it all have different interpretations of what that ending is supposed to be and they'd filmed several of them. So uh, what is it really? You know, um, I also want to talk about the some of the more technical aspects of this film. They tented the house uh, because yeah. almost almost the entire film, aside from the outside scenes, are filmed inside this one house. And uh, they tented it so they could film during the day, with the exception of scenes where there was a ton of windows, particularly the dinner scene. Um, and they also filmed chronologically. Uh, they filmed with a huge emphasis on how can we place Will as a character to always make him look isolated, not just physically, but emotionally in the shots they choose to show and what they're choosing the show on his face. He always does seem incredibly distant. And I just want to bring all these things up because it just feels to me like uh, Kusuma just rocked the look and Kusama locked, rock the look and feel and tone of this film because all of those close attentions to detail. And I think even the fact that it was filmed chronologically in a, almost like a play like fashion worked really uh, well. It, now it should be said it was filmed mostly chronologically uh, unless that, unless uh, Logan's beard can come off. Will's beard can come off and be reattached. Sure. Uh, sure. There's some flashbacks. Yes, but largely the house is filmed chronologically. And that actually brought to mind for me that this could be a really well done stage play. This totally could, in my opinion. Uh, You know, I go to a lot of stage plays and the the amount of work that is 
I do like every single month. Um, I did not know this. Yeah. So like I recently saw one called an inspector calls. Um, it was the U S debut of it and it's a whole oh, cool. like murder mystery. It's a British murder mystery that won a ton of awards in the eighties and they brought it back. The point being that they had this dynamic moving set where they were able to move you through this murder mystery in a really compelling way. And, but it was all kind of confined within this one house. They just kept moving the set pieces in a really organic and unique way. And I was thinking that something like that could be done for this movie. You could have this on a, on a stage and I think it would be just as effective. I'm not totally sure how you'd pull off maybe like maybe the, the, the flashbacks, but by and large, I think you could. I've already figured it out. It's fine. You just, you have Will alone reflecting upon it, and then you have the child actor come out, but you do something with the lighting. Yeah, there you go. It's, you know, trust me, we'll we'll be working on this. It'll be debuting on Broadway in 2022. (laughs) We look forward to having you all in attendance. Oh, people would Uh, love this on, this would be, oh my God, people would love this as a stage play. I just can't get over that. That's like, I'm really focused on that because I think it could be amazing as one because it's directed as one. And that's, I, I think, very cool to me. Yeah, but I think what makes thrillers work a lot of the time, effective ones, is the music. And like you have all mm, of the good point. really strange uh, violin in the soundtrack kind of setting a lot of these scenes very effectively that I, I, I worried if you, if you took that out. I mean, it, it all stands on the performance of the actors, right? But yeah, lose something moving that music. So I recently saw the uh the the u.s version of uh the king's speech done written by the same guy who wrote the screenplay and it was here in chicago debuting in the u.s and they used a ton of music to bolster this movie and it worked really well because it was such a character heavy movie that sometimes just needed the oomph of um getting really intense score in there and they did a great job on it so i could see you doing something like that with this um but i do think the fact they filmed it chronologically would would lend credence to the fact that you could do something like that um and i think modern audiences would probably get a kick out of it yeah they so this is no, something i think it would go ahead no, oh, cool. I, I was just going to agree it would make a, a good stage play i think so too and something that's interesting uh that a sort of goes along you know, in a strange way when they had set up this house because they filmed in the house they set up two separate uh, dressing rooms for them to change and they had originally set one up you know for, for men and one for women but apparently over time it started to divide up by uh, people who were in the cult and people who weren't really yeah and you know that's I mean uh, how much is, of that is true and you know just like an onset story but I, I kind of like little lore things like that behind the making of a movie because that especially in something that relies so heavily on character interaction where there is this slight barrier between the two people in this one way like i like hearing stuff like that there was some emphasis to it even behind the scenes to help build that tension interesting now um kasuma is that correct nicole uh kusama Kusama, I'm really going to struggle with the whole show. Um, so one thing I noticed about her in interviews about this movie, and it's like all over the place, is all she wants to talk about is all the president's men. Um, she's like, yeah, that's the that's the font that we took for the title card. It's the tone of the movie, and like, uh, you know, I'm I'm an I'm a I'm an ex journalism student. I love all the president's men as much as an ex ex journalism student. I don't know if I fully understand where she's going with that. Um, I think what she's trying to say maybe is like the 
the style of a 1970s film that i guess all the present spends a little thrillery i guess like we're gonna meet deep throat in a garage but like i don't know um but she loves it she loves it if anything i mean i would think it would lean a little more toward um like three days of the condor Mm. which is much more of a putting together a, a mystery you know three days of the condor robert redford works in a I believe it's a politician's office and he goes out one day and comes back and everyone in the office is dead. And so he has to figure out and of course it gets pinned on him and he has to figure out what really happened and why. And so he's, he's putting it together bit by bit with everyone else, uh, him not knowing who he can trust. And I think that's kind of a little more of the, the 70s vibe maybe she's talking about you know all the president's men is i mean style wise it seems a little different for me i'm not yeah i'm not sure where she's yeah i'm not following the thread here (laughs) yeah i think i mean there's a little bit in some of the aesthetic you can kind of maybe see some of the 70s feeling but i i think it's more maybe on nicole's point of like you don't know who you can trust right yeah, I, I, that's a good point, too. Um, and I, I think stylistically a little bit. I, I One thing I think that the movie does well, albeit kind of absurdly in the sense that, oh, look here in the L.A. Hills, you don't have phone service. Um, yeah, it's the Hollywood Hills. Those people would have. Right. But but I guess the, the benefit of that is it, it, it quickly allows you to dispense modern technology, right? The only... The only piece of modern technology we see this entire movie is a MacBook that gets pulled out to show the death video. Um, well, and I think that works. He checks, his, he checks his phone messages and talks to, to, to hear Choi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does. There's, it's very sparse, though, and you can barely do it. So I guess that's my point, is that this isn't a movie where if you did go to a modern dinner party with a bunch of adults, there's at least one person on their phone at all times. <laughs> and maybe right. that role is rotating, but you don't get that in this movie, which I think adds to the actor's ability to bounce off of one another that I think that adds to maybe the, the seventies type style she was going for perhaps. Um, the I could see that. Yeah. I yeah. I, I could yeah. see that. So another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the end of this movie <laughs> because it is, quite an ending nicole did you see this ending coming at all um i i was pretty sure like i said i was i was sure that somebody was gonna die i thought it was going to be maybe just will or will and his girlfriend like they would wait for everybody else to leave and then do something or wait for have somebody waiting outside so that when Will and his girlfriend left. They could kill them and the dinner party could go on and not raise any suspicions. But Mm. when it became clear that they were going to kill everybody, I was like, "Woo, okay, this is interesting. This is gone in a a way I didn't expect. And then when you find out it's all over the valley at the same time, that's the real, that was the real mind blower at the end for me. That was the real surprise. And that's been divisive amongst people that enjoy this movie you, if you oh my gosh if you go on reddit and type in the invitation oh, you're gonna go down a rabbit hole but a lot oh, of people either love or hate that ending and uh i mean it's 
it's it's foreshadowed early on, right? Because the, there, Dario is asked. Dario, he's he's asked, you know, oh, this is you know, like you and like the seven. Character's name is David. Yes, David is asked, um, you know, oh, like this is like seven of you in a in a cult in in Mexico, and he's like, no, there's thousands of us. There's dozens of us, and turns out that is actually true, um, that this is happening all throughout the valley and that they have lit a red lantern outside to uh, to alert everybody else that they have started their ritualistic killing of all their friends and family. I think I can see why for some people the ending would be, uh, would be something that pulls them out of it a little bit because so much of this movie, I think what makes this movie so effective is how realistic it could be you know you could we hear stories of something like this not all the time but like it happens certainly in history of of like these these weird cult killings and then to see that it's happening in like all of these homes and you know hundreds of people would have died in like the hollywood hills like this one specific cult penetrated the hollywood hills so thoroughly and so massively and like potentially also in like places like new york and etc you know it, it feels a, a little bit maybe bigger than the premise of the movie. Uh, but I agree with Nicole. It is like, it is like a, it's an extra like, <gasps> like yeah, a little bit of a gasp moment that I really enjoy. Yeah, I will I mean, say, I buy it. Yeah. If there's a place where there's going to be enough fragile egos to convince them all to kill their friends and family, it's going to be the Hollywood Hills. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that aside. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It's, it, it is, I mean, because in, in seriousness, that that is actually where a lot of um, culty type things happen. Uh, just look at the Manson family. Um, this has Manson well, family undertones that it is actually mocked in the movie. Well, it's a little bit Manson. There's a little bit of, you know, Jim Jones. There's a little bit of Heaven's Gate in here. Um, but I mean, I would, I could buy this happening in the Hollywood Hills because they have like these spiritual trends right. out there at the coming like Kabbalah was a big thing oh, a couple decades Kabbalah. ago and um that which I'm not saying is a cult but I mean this was a this was a <laughs> trend it was, it was very that people, trendy yeah. that people were picking up on yeah and I mean you can't spit without hit, hitting a Scientologist out there <laughs> and I I will go ahead and say that that's a cult thank you um <laughs> but you know, this is, yeah, like you said, there's enough fragile egos, there's enough people looking for belonging, There's and there's enough trendiness and trend chasing up there that I would, I would buy that there would be that many people in this cult who would agree to all do this thing on the same day. And they poke fun at that, too. Like, they say, like, ah, oh, you know, um, this is the Hollywood Hills. Of course, they're going through some sort of spiritual awakening, right? Uh, go ahead, David. It's, it's a little bit ambiguous, too, of exactly what's, you know, maybe these people just decided to have their dinner party and all do it together. And like, maybe, I mean, maybe it was just like a couple of, uh, like a couple at home decided to go through with it. Uh, and that, again, like that, that the same thing with the Claire thing, letting us, the audience, then have our own interpretation of what exactly happened, I think makes it more interesting. Well, but there's enough violent ends going on and enough people involved and potential escapees that the police and ambulance are starting to swarm oh, over the valley funny. at the yeah. end of the movie. No, you're right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah with, with helicopters. Um, 
Correct. Now, a question for you guys, and I've been trying... This is the kind of movie where I don't feel like it does anything without having a reason for doing it. And um, and that's a huge nod to the director. Uh, there's a point in the movie where David answers the front door, and there's just people trying to show up to the party, and it's meant to come off as a little suspicious because you can't see who they are, what they're saying to him, and then he closes the door and he suspiciously says... Oh, they're just looking for a party on foot. Um, any idea what that was supposed to be? Was that like people arriving to the wrong murder dinner party? Like, I was trying to figure out what that was. I don't know. It could have been, it could have been like, hey, here's your poison. They're postmatesing it to all the people in the valley, so they just get fresh. It's delivered fresh. I mean, it, you know, it could be. Yeah, or it could be a guy I tried to text you, but I didn't know. Was it, It's 8.30, right? 8.30 p.m. on the dot? That's when we're doing Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> or, you know, it could be something really weird, like a couple of people who belong to the cult but didn't know anybody up there and wanted to come and have right. good wine and a good meal can we before they die. Yeah, uh, and and I do like the the Heaven's Gate aspect of it. I think when when they do hand out this this final drink of wine toward the end of the movie, that's for me when it when the tables turn completely. That's when I finally, for at least the first time I watched this, realize okay, Will's not like I know that Will's probably not nuts, but that seals the deal because <laughs> there's something about that scene. They also have that great moment where he like his freak out. You know, and you don't know, is this freak out his breaking point? Is something else about to turn? And of course, you know, sadly, the the one girl had already drank it and is dying. Well, that Uh, was my tip off that they really had poisoned everybody is when we're we're shown that Gina takes a swallow before the actual toast happens. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And Choi shows up, man, uh, very, (laughs) very, very late and still without any sort of dessert. Just not a great dinner party. Yeah, guest. where's the dessert, Choi? Damn it, the Choi. Yeah, so 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 Choi shows up and and I think instigates the best acting of the movie, which is Will going through this internal monologue of "Oh my God, maybe I am a paranoid asshole," and um, it's acted by Logan Marshall Green so beautifully because he goes from such anger to such apologetic distress and it's it's just so 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 well done and it only lasts long enough for then gina to hit the floor and then you know everything gets blown open and it really is just the best scene of the movie for me yeah well he has i mean he has that great voice quiver he's on the edge of tears when troy uh when troy shows up because he's finally like oh no like it's just like i'm you know being back here is so difficult and i'm so stressed out that really i am crazy and then it turns out you're not will you weren't uh, the whole time you were right Yep, yep. I do also want to say that there is a flair used by people who love this movie in r slash horror called Where the Beep is Choi um, that you just see on people's profiles It's a, as a designation of how much they love this movie. Uh, nice. Yeah, so let's also talk about the fact that three people survive, and I really like that about this movie, is that is that you're led to believe toward the very end of the movie that everyone is dead except for Will and his girlfriend. And we keep calling her his girlfriend, but she was very good. So let's actually get her name here. Kira. Um, Kira. Kira, right. Um, played by... Um, Kira is the one I feel the worst for, for yeah. the whole like, <laughs> part of the movie. 
because she obviously doesn't know these people very well. Uh, the, the, her boyfriend is being hostile and rude. Yeah. And she, uh, I feel so bad for her. Oh, man. Her real life name is really going to put me through a spiral here. Amaya Yatsi. Right. Hold on. Let me see. Florian Aldi. <laughs> That's tough. All right. As I wait for Nicole to correct me. Um, no, she's absolutely wonderful in this as the oh. outsider. <laughs> Oh no, you got me, Emma. I'm <laughs> Emma Yatsi might be Emma Yatsi. I think is correct. Coronaldi. Okay. Yeah. 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 Whatever. We, we apologize. <laughs> we apologize for not pronouncing your name correctly. Right, but but she she is but, the outsider, yeah, and and she does first of all like a plus girlfriend in the sense that she's able to even step yes. into that space with his ex wife and handle it as, as a child. Died. Right. And the house where the child died and handle it as well as she does. Um, but you know, she is left alive with will and they're hiding. And it, you seem to believe that Pruitt, David and Eden have killed everybody. Uh, but we later find out that another man is still alive. One of the other friends um, and Tommy, Tommy. And, and I love that about this movie because this movie kills the stupid, like one person or couple left standing trope by allowing Tommy to survive. Like it gives it more of a realistic feel to me versus just the protagonist walking out unscathed. And, right. And I really, yeah, we think Tommy got taken out because, uh, Sadie grabbed the the cake knife and slashed him a good one across the chest. Right. Yes. I was going to say, I appreciate that. Like, you know, Logan gets shot. Uh, Tommy has that slash on him. Like they don't, they didn't get out of that entirely unscathed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That was unfortunate. Right, guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mean, Kira, you know, had to beat a man to death. Like with a telescope. Right. And there are conversations about that amongst the filmmakers because uh, you know logan marshall green had voiced a concern of this is not going to feel real if i bring down pruitt because he's such a he's such a bigger guy than me he's like how are we going to make this feel realistic and not make it also like an over-the-top fight that dominates the end of this movie which it shouldn't be and that's when they decided like no kira has to be the one to save you and that's why when when you know she hits pruitt really hard and pruitt's not looking and beats him to death and uh i think it's a much better move versus having those two fight it out which was initially the idea it's great because it she's not the damsel in distress right that you know she's not just like the, the 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 woman that's in the corner screaming and hoping that everything's okay it's like she has agency in this movie and acts on it and Will yeah. kind of tries to make her the damsel in distress. Like he keeps like shushing her and he's like, I will save you. It'll all be okay. I know where to go. It's like, nah, man, you took her to an empty wall. She saves you. Well, no, but I mean, it makes sense that he takes lead. He used to live in right, that that's house. True. That's so true. he knows where all the, the exits are. Right. Um, because they had or where the exits used to be well, in some cases. Right. They had remodeled this house. So there was no longer an exit in the room. He thought there was um, they put bars over all the windows and all that. Yeah, nothing at all suspicious. All the doors are locked, and they're locked from the get-go. That's one of the things where you can't tell if he's paranoid or um, uh, totally justified. He is totally justified. Um, but I do right. love that about the end of this movie, that Tommy survives. I think Tommy, for me, is like the character where it's like... And I I, just, I don't know why. It just feels so real to me at the end of the movie. Particularly at the very end of the movie, Tommy's initial reaction is, you know, I gotta go get my boyfriend inside. Like, I gotta go get my dead boyfriend. Like, this is not... Like, thank God I survived. Um, 
And it's it's a really harsh ending because of that for me, because three of them survive and it's not just Will crawling out of this house alive. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, guys, is there anything else you want to talk about about the invitation before we begin the wrap down? I want to open up the table. Oh, gosh. Um, I think the only thing that I had a question about, and I don't know if you guys even noticed this because it's it's fairly quick, but the first time that Will takes a walk outside, um, he's he's out in the backyard and we can see him kind of moving some stuff around outside. And this is when he's outside and he sees Eden through the through the bedroom uh, patio door. You know, you, he sees her putting pills in a drawer, and so. But like right before that, he's walking around and he notices something on the ground and moves it. And it looks like he shoves it under a bush. And I'm waiting for him later to like come out and grab whatever it is and clock somebody with it. But I, does anyone know what that was? I thought he was getting firewood, was he not? That's what I thought too. Uh, hmm. Maybe. But I, th- I thought he had just gone out to clear his head. Noah, she she was like, "Hey, you know where the firewood is." Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, that's um, the only question I had. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a. I did the first time. I missed. I was a little confused when he goes to see uh, Tyler's old room, and he sees it as Tyler's room, and then we see him in an office, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure that those two were the same room until the second oh, yeah. viewing. That's a tricky little. It is. Moment. Yeah, they handle those those flashbacks very eloquently like they're not there's not too many of them they're done well um we don't really ever find out exactly how tyler died it seems to be that another kid hit him with a baseball bat is that what it was a kid hit him with a baseball bat yeah aluminum baseball bat oh okay i guess we do figure it out then um but we don't we're not (laughs) we're not shown that right um no no you can hear it but mm-hmm. yeah, and they, they don't. He say says they it. were just I mean, fooling around explicitly, right? But he says like, "I gave him the bat. I thought it would be okay." Right. Yeah. He okay. never says like when Tyler was killed by his best friend with the base. Like they think right. of enough clue without saying it. Right. Okay. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I will also say as long as we're touching on that scene where he goes outside, that the whole snooping through your ex's pills definitely does not put him at the top of the the sane list <laughs> early on in this movie. <laughs> That's typically a really big no-no. Um, so that was another element to this that really added to me initially believing, you know, oh, maybe Will is the one that's going to go off the deep end here at the end. Uh, but yeah. the invitation... Uh, a future classic, I think. Now, Nicole and I, in particular, have to rule on this. Nicole, I defer to you first. Oh, oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> in, in the world of horror. In the world of horror, it can <laughs> have yes. In the world of horror slash thrillers, yeah, certainly, yeah, I would definitely say that this is one that people are going to keep coming back to and talking about um, because it's it's very well written, it's very well executed. Um, overall, I, I don't know. I suppose it will, you know, a lot of times it can depend on the cultural context. What's, what's going on in the culture. I mean, all the president's men is a classic because it portrays a, a historical event and it was well written and well executed. And so, excuse me. So people keep circling back to it and it's thought of as a classic. Um, I mean, obviously this doesn't portray a real 
political event, but, you know, like, I think Get Out's going to be a classic because of the cultural context um, of the time that it came out in, as well as how well it's made. So I think the invitation, maybe I'll know better in a few years, but I would absolutely say that it's a it's an extremely well-made uh, thriller slash, uh, quote, elevated horror, unquote. Yeah, horror is particularly difficult to classify in future classics because unless it does have that that social implication of um, Get Out, for for example, it's very hard to determine if this is going to be the kind of movie like, I don't know, The Shining or something like that, where people are going to look back on this horror film 30 years from now. I think that in the broad scheme of the ability to masterfully execute a thriller that leaves you hanging till the very last moment and still manages to play with you in those final moments, even when you think you have it all figured out, this movie does it incredibly, incredibly well. Um, I think the acting is superb. I think the script is incredibly well done. I think it's beautifully shot. We didn't really, we talked about tenting the house, but we also didn't talk about how just the, the color palette and the cinematography of this film to bring out these, these, these reds and oranges in the home. Cause the home is kind of made with that, tone of wood just lends to just feeling uncomfortable like nothing feels warm in the movie and um everything feels kind of looks warm even though it looks warm yeah it feels it feels sterile and cold and the decoration in the home feels sterile and part of that seems to be the, the the couple um or eden in particular just kind of wiping away anything that could make her feel emotion in this film hence why her you know late son's bedroom turns into a you know, an office. Um, all of that works so, so well for me. So yes, I do think that in, in the, in the cultural landscape of horror films, this will be, I think a future classic, especially because this is one of those movies where people will come up to me and they'll be like, have you seen the invitation as if they're into something that I don't know about. And that's always a good, like that's always a very good, uh, you know, sign if people think that the fact that they know it is a really cool thing and they need to turn you on to it because it is not quite a mainstream horror film. Uh, I think that's really cool too. So David, very good pick. Is there anything you want to say on your, on your future classic? Um, I think we, we've said a lot of, of, points on it there's a lot more to be said about it i think it's a movie that that prompts discussion which is great uh i will say that i think some of the best horror movies out there play on our very real fears and i think this movie plays on as nicole pointed out our fears of like social niceties and not wanting to uh to appear rude even when we feel at risk and uh things like grief and depression so I, I just think there's there's so much to this movie that I, I really think even if you don't like horror movies, people should check it out. Give it a shot. Yeah, and when shit hits the fan, I, I would argue it's not it's not aggressively violent either. I mean, Pruitt's death no, is a little body. It's not gory. Yeah, and, and and by the time that it's it happens and it's coming, like you're prepared for it. <laughs> yeah, as, yeah, as much as you can be. I like, it's still shocking and hard, but that's I mean, but it, it's not. Yeah, anyway, watch the movie. Yeah, nothing's exceptionally gory, if that's a concern of yours. Um, yes. Very good. Well, I, I'm so excited we watched this. Uh, David, thank you for bringing a movie ghoul round pick for us. Nicole, our movie ghoul round marathon ends later this evening with a final episode releasing. Today is Halloween, and tonight, on All Hallows' Eve, we are releasing a final episode. One more time, what is the movie? 
Eyes Without a Face. It's a French movie around 1960, black and white. Very so. good. Check it out, everybody. Looking forward to it. That'll do it for myself, David Nicole. Nicole, where can people find you online? I look after our Facebook page, facebook.com slash movie go round. I'm on uh, Letterboxd, Nicole underscore Davis. And that's pretty much it for the moment. Very good. What about you, David? The Brookbot Mountain Podcast. I'm on there with Phil Rude around the internet under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, find me there. And either I am still plugging along <laughs> on America's Next Top Podcaster or not, but you should tune into that to find out. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, David, it's been a while since you plugged it. What's what's your wonderful dog Topanga's Instagram? Yeah. Oh, Topanga's Instagram is Topanga the Untamable. I should post I should put something up new on there. It's been a, a week or so. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, get it up there. We'll start putting it in the show notes every single week. <laughs> um very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. That's where you can find everything I do, including my website and all those good things. If you'd like to find all of these links plus links to the show on social media, you can do that at social.mgrpodcast.com. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. Hi at mgrpodcast.com. You can email the show. That's hi at mgrpodcast.com. And one more thing. Finally, finally, you can rate us on iTunes and Stitcher, particularly the former. It's now called Apple Podcasts. But if you rate us there... That gives us more opportunity to raise in those rankings and in- introduce new people to this wonderful not cult of ours that allows you to vote on movies every five weeks on our Facebook and Twitter to pick what we watch for you did this to us. All right. We'll be back later this evening in your feed with eyes without a face. Eyes without a face.